Russian troops are preparing for street fights in Kherson as they are unable to stop Ukrainian counteroffensive in the south. There is a risk that they will explode the dam at hydropower plant in Novokakhovka, provoking a major environmental disaster in Eastern Europe. You're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, the website in English about Ukraine. This is our weekly digest covering events in and around Ukraine from October 16th to October 23rd, 2022. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist who is heading international department at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the biggest and oldest Ukrainian media NGOs. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your donations to help Ukrainian def- defenders and people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So let's discuss this week what happened, uh, the most important events in and around Ukraine. And of course, we are really looking very closely to what, what is happening in the south. Uh, the Ukrainian counteroffensive in the south around Kherson. Yeah, let's start with Kherson counteroffensive. So, what's what was happening during this week? Uh, well, first of all, there were some official declarations coming from both uh, both Russians and uh, also local Ukrainian uh, collaborators, as we call them, uh, being present in Kherson. So, both were talking about possible. Um, for example, Sorovikin was talking about possible complicated decisions, as he said. About Sorovikin is that uh, the, the head of the Russian. Um, Chief military commander. operation. Right yeah, now. he he arrived just a couple of weeks ago, and everything changed in in their tactics. A lot of things changed in their tactics. So, so we can say that we maybe will be obliged to take some difficult decisions. He was talking probably, presumably, about a possible retreat of Russian troops from Kherson, so they would be obliged to cross from the left, from the right bank of Dnipro to the left bank. And at the same time, the same day, there were declarations coming from Strimousa, which is a collaborator in Kherson, who said that they will be organizing ev- so what they call evacuations of ci- civilians from the right bank to the left bank. In fact, according to local journalists, these evacuations and preparations for this evacuation started a couple of weeks ago. They were um, trying to make people panic, explaining that Ukrainians will uh, attack Kherson, so it's better to to move out, to move somewhere to Crimea and to Russia, creating this kind of panic. So there are clear signs that something is really bad for Russians in that area. But at the same time, uh, we see that, uh, yes, indeed, they try to evacuate uh, what they call administrations. They are trying to evacuate what they call hospitals. They are um, transporting several groups of people, for example, children from um, from without who live without parents in special children's houses and all other stuff. But at the same time, we see an opposite mo- movement of Russian uh, freshly uh, mobilized soldiers who move from the left bank to the right bank uh, at the same time using these their... 
and the, maybe the society that they will be preparing not only the retreat of their army, but the kind of a military operation inside Kherson. So this seems to be unclear. At the same time, they declare that as if Ukrainians will be creating uh, some uh, explosions in, at the uh, Novokakhovka hydropower plant. So it makes us think that maybe they are preparing this kind of operation. And it, it was also an official uh, statement coming from Volodymyr Zelensky, president of Ukraine. He said that Russians are probably preparing such a thing and there is a logic in it. So if Ukrainian army advances too quickly, they will be able to explode this dam and the result will be that there will be a water, water between Ukrainian troops and Russian troops. So will, they will be able to retreat uh, peacefully and they, it will protect the further advancement of the Ukrainian army, specifically in the direction of Crimea. So at that very moment, we receive both kind of information. On one hand, evacuations of, of people and also military, but at the same time, the, this movement of Russians to Kherson. So the situation is still quite, uh, quite unclear what exactly they will be doing. So I remember these statements by two collaborators that you mentioned, uh, Mr. Saldo and uh, Mr. St- uh, Strimosov. You know that I know Strimosov. Did I tell, tell you that? Yeah. I've met him. And I've met him, uh, I think, 10 years ago uh, when we were organizing like meetings with Ukrainian journalists about European integration, about Europe. And uh, at any such seminars, actually, very often we had very strange people. So they would, they would be applying to the seminars. And uh, initially we accepted, accepted everybody. And uh, sometimes you got such people as uh, Mr. Stremoso who would, who would have uh, long hair at the time, who would be like a, a Russian world hippie. He, he, was, he was looking like a Russian world hippie. And he was really, I think, I think he already worked for the Russians at the time. I think he believes in the idea of the, of the Russian world. He was very anti-Western, but uh, he was spreading the, all this information about how bad the West is and how he traveled in Latin America and um, seen uh, that in Latin America people still had big hopes on Russia uh, because they think that there is still Soviet Union and anti-imperialistic stri- uh, st- uh, fight of the Soviet Union against the Western world. So um, it was logical, but, but he was a freak. I mean, he's a complete freak. And now he's really the second person of this Russian occupation authorities. He doesn't look like a hippie. He has a uh, short haircut. But he continues to be a freak. Uh, So it it is not a person who would organize something. That's that's just ridiculous. That would be a – when I've met him, it it was a real – Underground, uh, you know, uh, person who would, uh, yeah, who, who would a hippie, right? Who would travel ac- across uh, the the whole world uh, without any specific workplace or whatever. So it's it's not really a person who would, well, I don't know, who would organize the process in in the occupation authorities, and most probably he would be removed one day. Um, that's that's a that's a story of of such people. So uh, he also published, I think, a week ago, something like that, a, a verse, a poem, uh, uh, a video poem, when he would be saying that look, the Russian world would be everywhere. 
Russian world will be in Amazonian forests. Russian world would be, of course, in Europe, in London, in Paris, in Berlin. Russian world would be in in the United States. So it, it's it's really crazy. I mean, uh, maybe it's a kind of an ironical poem. I don't know, but most probably this is the, the way how they they believe in things. So they're actually losing the battle for Ukraine, but but they're still having these global things in mind, right? That they will conquer the whole world. So uh, Mr. Sarda, uh, the key collaborator, sounded very scary, very frightened when he was announcing this uh, evacuation. And I'm asking the question because many people have read the statements of Suraviki and Sarda that actually Russians are preparing uh, the information space uh, in Russia for the retreat from Kherson. Obviously, Retreat from Kherson will be a dramatic blow for a, uh, for um, for Russian leaders, for Russian propaganda, etc. Uh, when they lost Izum, when they lost much much smaller towns, there was already a huge disappointment, even in the Russian propaganda. Of course, if they lose Kherson, the biggest city they occupied. <laughs> that might be actually considered as the end of the war or as the beginning of the end uh, of the war. And there was this uh, feeling that they're announcing the retreat from Kherson, but it seems that it's not the case, that they're really preparing for the fight. Yes, yes, exactly. So, and this movement of these uh, soldiers proved that maybe they will try their best to stand to be there without civilians, without uh, collaborators, because collaborators are really scared. And I think not only Sald and Strimosov, but all these people who participated in these uh, collaborations. So there were at least some some inhabitants of Kherson were uh, were active during that time. Look, what we also know, we know that, for example, these uh, social services like pensions and all these stuff and Russian banks and uh, are moving from Kherson. So it's a clear sign they are, there will be no peaceful life in Kherson. They understand that. They are moving ambulances and um, and all these facilities which were existing in Kherson. They're, they're living uh, behind them in a completely empty city. At least what people inside Kherson, I've read that in Twitter from people who live inside Kherson, they are uh, living just an empty city, but at the same time they will try. They, I'm, I'm convinced they will try their best to to keep the city until it's possible. And um, we still don't know if this information about the possible explosion at Novakakhovka is uh, a reality, because look, if they if they explode this dam. What will happen? Not only that uh, number, big number, if I'm not mistaken, 80 villages will be under the water on the left bank, but also there will be no water coming to Crimea. So, And we know that for Putin, water in Crimea, Dnipro water in Crimea was one of the objectives. So this is important for Peninsula. This is one of the reasons of this war. And they started these water supplies as soon as they occupied Kachovka, right? So for them, it will be a huge loss. And um, But still, this is a possible scenario because maybe they will have no other choice but to try. And, and another another danger. Imagine they explode the this dam, Nova Kachovka hydroelectric plant. What will happen next? The level of the water will be lower. And it it will lead to the fact that in, in Energodar, where the nuclear power plant is, they will they, they also using this water to cool 
some elements of the system. So this station in Ergodar will not be cooled and it could lead to another disaster, nuclear disaster at that time. So it, it, it can create a really, really heavy consequences for Ukrainian territories. So this is also an important way to look at this war. And uh, recently we had a conversation for this podcast with Philippe Sands, a famous uh, British and uh, French lawyer. And uh, I invite you to listen to it. It will be published in a couple of days or I think in a week or something like that, where he said that one of the biggest probably results, legal results of this war will be introduction of the concepts of ecocide into international law. Because this is what Russians are doing or threatening to do uh, because they put at risk uh, not only humans, of course, but they put at risk the environment um, with uh, Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, as you mentioned, with uh, Kachovka hydro power plant, etc. One thing I still don't understand, why they need this evacuation of civilians because i mean of course they will present it as uh, as if they are thinking about the civilian population which is bullshit we know that they're, they're not thinking and they're even not thinking about their own soldiers and uh, to understand that just look at mariupol which they shelled heavily without thinking about civilian population look at kharkiv that they shell the uh, civilian targets Kharkiv, Russian-speaking, mostly Russian-speaking city, Zaporizhia, mostly Russian-speaking city, Mykolaiv, mostly Russian-speaking city. They shell the civilian targets without no thinking about the the civilian population. And we have also seen these uh, shootings, I mean, the filming of uh, how uh, Russians were shooting at the civilian cars when they were attacking Kiev. Mm, and uh, we have lots of lots of testimonies about that. So I think the the goal is kind of information goal. They want to persuade I don't know their own population or the world that they are thinking about civilians. That therefore they they are preparing for a big fight and look at how cruel are Ukrainians and uh, and therefore we will evacuate civilians. What do you yes, think? Yes, yes, I think I think that really what they want they create a picture, and specifically for uh, for Westerners just to show that look uh, and but but as well for their own audience look when russia was here everything was uh, brilliant everything was all right but then ukrainians came and so they they will be shelling kherson the problem is that at least what journalists uh, local journalists say uh, that they will be will will be shooting at kherson as soon as they cross the river and they will be on the on the left bank so they will be accusing ukrainians of destroying the city and we, we cannot exclude that they will transform kherson in a kind of mariupol so they will be doing that and the idea is to show look how cruel this ukrainian army is because for ukrainian army it will be for ukrainian troops it will be extremely difficult to cross the river after Russians, right after Russians, and that's why they are they are talking about these explosions. If they you have, they have more water between these both sides, they will be unable to cross as, and they will have some time to shell the city to explode. Another reason is that they are uh, uh, moving uh, during the day and during the night. They, uh, you mean who? Uh, I mean civilians. They uh, um, organize these. Um, what we call we call it deportations from from the right bank to the left bank of Dnipro, evacuations, and they are also trying to mix civilians with military, 
to avoid when Ukrainians, they do know that uh, Ukrainians control, they have an artillery control over bridges and o- over the river. So just to avoid that Ukrainians uh, hit the target, you know, so maybe it's only another part of the explanation why uh, they, they organize this so-called evacuation. We also know that people inside the city, they were prepared for this evacuation for many days and even weeks already. And this panic is artificial. They are trying to say to, to local people that, look, there will be very hard times, very difficult, very dangerous. There will be real war here, so you'd better save your life. So they're preparing people for that, and they're trying to put them outside the city. But at the same time, remember how the second war has started. It started from this yeah, big information picture when Russians were deporting, basically, people from Donetsk, exactly. saying that uh, Ukrainians will be attacking. And this was a preparation of the Russian citizens for like information preparation that look how cruel Ukrainians are, they are preparing an attack on Donbass and therefore we are launching we are launching this war. But uh, at that time it was understandable. It was kind of trying to show that Russia is attacking Ukraine in order that Ukraine is not does not attack Russia. Uh, what is the sense of the current? It's a repetition of, of what happened but I, I don't really see the sense of it. Look, let's let's wait for one week. I I guess that we will see much much better in in one week because there will be some major moves uh, in the region, and we'll see exactly what's going on because they are talking a lot. And the problem also is that Ukrainian troops, Ukrainian chief commander, they are not communicating a lot about what's going on uh, from the military. Maybe point it's not a problem. Maybe it's, it's not a problem. It's a problem it's to understand. Good. It's, it's good, but the problem is that we we don't understand, so we don't know the, uh, the information. So, and we understand that they are advancing, but we don't know exactly where they are at that moment and uh, when exactly Kherson will be liberated. But let's come back to one, one week ago. Institute of Study of War was talking about that. Kherson will be liberated during next next week, right? Oh, at least the operation will start. Okay, you're listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine by ukraineworld.org. Volodymyr Yermolenko and Tetyana Harkova will come back in a few seconds. Another topic which is uh, which is very important is that Russians are continuing missile strikes against Ukrainian cities, against Ukrainian infrastructure, probably every day. This is our this is our new new normality. We see the news every day that uh, this particular city or that particular city was shelled, and uh, they are targeting the electricity plants. Therefore, Ukrainians are now having problems with electricity. And sometimes we are working without electricity. Sometimes we have um, um, a connection card, internet card, and uh, we're still trying to tweet or to make podcasts in this environment or to, to write texts or to, uh, to collect further funds for our volunteer trips. So um, what's happening in this? Uh, President Zelensky said recently that 30% of Ukrainian electricity generation is destroyed. And uh, we can be really heading into a big humanitarian difficulties. Yes, exactly. So all this story started on the uh, 10th of October 
Maybe it's linked to Surovikin. Many experts say that it's linked to Surovikin's appearance as the chief of commander, and it's his tactics. So for 12 days already... What they are doing, they are uh, they are making these uh, missiles, but also Iranian drones attacks against uh, Ukrainian electricity infrastructure, um, massive strikes, which uh, leads to, to 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 major destructions in many regions in the center, but also in the east and the west and the south everywhere. We live through several of these attacks and we understand that, yes, indeed, it creates real problems for civilians. Look, uh, for example, in the place we are now, yesterday, electricity was cut at uh, 2.30 and we didn't have any electricity until midnight. So it lasted for many, many hours. So you have no pos- you have no internet, you have no light. It's already dark at 6 in the evening right now. So it's quite, quite uncomfortable. And imagine what will happen if uh, they continue to do so and if Ukraine doesn't have enough of air defense systems and if they do the same thing with heating systems. Because heating systems, we have both types. We have electricity, but we also have gas. Uh, and uh, But they're interconnected. So in a way, when uh, heating will be vital, it, it it will happen in two weeks, maybe in one month. We don't at that very moment we still don't have heating because temperature is from ten to fifteen degrees, so that's all right. But just in a couple of weeks, it will be different. So it will create a situation when millions of Ukrainians will be really cold. Yes, indeed, some of them are, have generators and they have the in private houses, for example, you can buy a generator, you can help. But if you are in a city, you can, you, can, you cannot least use a generator to, to, in your flat because it is dangerous. And it will be creating a real humanitarian catastrophe in the country. And many things may, may come. First of all, um, there will be migration. People, if, if there is real winter like that, I can, can imagine that a lot of people will live in the country. Maybe, but maybe not. Uh, we see the difference of uh, October strikes with 24th of February. Actually, nobody's living. Uh, maybe Kiev, maybe it became less uh, less populated in the in, in the last couple of weeks. But still, I mean, well, this is this is of course not what happened after 24th of yeah. February, the big exodus. No, but, but I mean, in in winter. So if it, if the situation lasts for months might become a problem. So we don't know. But what we know already, we know already that uh, we were exporting uh, electricity abroad for many months, even after the problems with the Bridger nuclear power plant, right? We're doing that for all the time. We started doing that a couple of weeks ago, when really after the first uh, massive strike. And now when it continues, it means that Ukraine not only is unable to export electricity now, we need more electricity now because we are unable to provide all the, all the clients. I mean, people, why we have all these blackouts for four, for three, four hours, sometimes longer? It's only to, to stabilize the system. So it means that in order to, to stay uh, stable, uh, the, you, you need to cut off se- s- several uh, regions and to supply others and then another direction. So it means that, uh, that you, 
at that moment, this is not this is not tragic. So this is inconvenient, right? This is not pleasant. This is it, it changes your life, but uh, it's not really dangerous at that moment. But the problem is that this is only the beginning, and they will be doing that again and again. So they will be trying to destroy. Uh, all the system of this electricity and this will create a real problem because for, for media image, we've, we've seen several colleagues who were having some media events and there is a blackout and, and you are online, for example, on air and everything is, 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 becomes impossible. Therefore, what is now really on demand in Ukraine is lamps working without electricity. Oh, I mean, with electricity, but uh, without centralized electricity on batteries or uh, accumulators. The generators are very on demand. Uh, water is very on demand. What else? Uh, yeah, the the power banks or something like that. So, any every time we have the electricity, we accumulate electricity through power banks. We accumulate water, uh, filling uh, our bathrooms with water or uh, everything we we have. So this is this is re- the reality. I would I would say it's rather comic than than dramatic. Of course, it's nothing compared to those atrocities that are happening elsewhere in Ukraine or the the, the very ascetic life of our soldiers, ascetic or dramatic or tragic. Maybe last thing uh, I would like to mention is that what is happening with these newly mobilized people uh, in Russia? It's very interesting. There is a Ukrainian journalist called Volodymyr Zolkin who is making on YouTube interviews with the uh, prisoners, of, prisoners of war, Russian prisoners of war. Each of the interviews has like one million of views. Everybody's interested in that. I think both in Russia and in Ukraine because these interviews are in Russian. And... Uh, and it's interesting if you know Russian, just uh, look at it, Vladimir Zolkin on on YouTube. I just listened several several such videos, and uh, it's hilarious. I mean, I mean, uh, uh, for example, yesterday I've listened to this video. A a, a Russian soldier mobilized. Uh, I think he was mobilized like um, uh, a couple on, of weeks ago, right? Yes, yes, but I mean, I, I don't exactly remember the dates, but. But like he was, he, he was just uh, mobilized. He went to this vain command, uh, and he was not allowed even to return home to get his belongings. He was told that uh, all all the belongings will be given in the army. Uh, all the things that he needs, of course, he he didn't get these things. He he got a uniform which is um, oversized. He didn't get uh, he didn't get uh, shoes, the military shoes, and they didn't go through any medical examination. This is also a repeating a repeating thing that we we hear from these newly mobilized people. They didn't go uh, through any medical examination, and uh, it can be very easily that they are mobilized and in one week they are already on the front line. In one week they are already in Ukraine. Of course nobody tells them that you are going to, 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 to go to Ukraine. They are not trained. They do not have medical examination. They put they are put into a tank as the, with this with this guy without, without any instruction, without any understanding who is the commander. The commander in the tank is 20 year old uh, boy who doesn't know what to do. 
and uh, they and in the first fight in the first battle this man is wounded and then they're just left by their commanders uh, the the six the, the six people the six men uh, four of them wounded uh, just left the commanders just f- flew away and uh, and they were just taken as prisoners of war very easily by by ukrainian soldiers so they really don't uh, are not needed by anybody another interview with a very young guy and they're calling his mother through through skype or whatever and and the mother is she expresses no emotion she's he expresses shock but she doesn't express emotions of love emotions of you know care for her, for for her child for her boy emotion of i don't know uh, uh, emotion of uh, willingness to talk to him and he and she says okay I'll talk to you later and she drops the phone and uh, and this is her her son like 21 year old 22 year old and this is something really wrong again as we repeat in our podcast there is something really wrong in the russian society in the interhuman relations one little thing i will tell you we see that on uh, this frankfurt buchmesse there is uh, <laughs> you want to tell something yeah, okay yeah yeah exactly so yeah it's just exact thing i wanted to tell so look there were a lot of uh, informations a lot of ex- um, we were waiting for kind of a manifestation coming from russians we do know that up to 1 million russians were already abroad so left to kazakhstan to western europe to finland to any other country so after this mobilization started in, back in september and everybody was saying look now we'll see we'll see finally we'll finally see the historical moment when russians will rebel against the regime they will they will be pronouncing loudly about what do they think about Putin and his regime, and they will be there. And we don't see any kind of manifestation in Berlin, in Paris, whatever, where, where they are. And yesterday, just I've seen these photos you were already telling about these Iranians. Iranians in Berlin, they were uh, a big, big manifestation against uh, against the uh, Iranian regime, against uh, this Islamic revolution forces. There were uh, s- dozens of thousands of Iranians in streets in Europe protesting against what Iran is doing with drones in Ukraine. So the question is why, uh, well, there were a, lo- a lot of uh, people who were trying to explain that, look, this is dif- this is easy for you Ukrainians to to accuse Russians of not being active. But look, this is so scary to live in Russia. You know the regime is so oppressive, etc., etc. But look, if you look back to Iran and you and, and you and you compare two regimes, it's extremely dangerous to protest in Iran. But people are protesting inside Iran and outside Iran, so they're doing that. What we see in Russia is mostly no. There were some minor manifestations for sure after mobilization. There were some manifestations in the beginning, in the beginning of war, but then nothing. And nothing is happening in the European capitals now. Where are all these Russians who left Russia, who are against, who presumably are against the war? Why are not, why do they don't, why they don't uh, show their political position of what's going on? Well, I have the explanation on it. I think that this shows that uh, Russians do not have a political nation. Russians is not a nation. And uh, 
I know for our, some of our listeners, this will sound as shocking or xenophobic. It's not xenophobic at all. It's just an objective analysis. Russians do not have, have, have a political nation. Political nations is, is something that is challenging the tyrant. If there is a tyrant, uh, the nation is able to challenge the tyrant. This is, this is what political nations do. Russians sometimes did it in, in, in their history. Maybe the only time they really did it was 1991. Uh, August 1991, but then it, it it it's very quickly disappeared. So I think con- unconsciously, even those Russians who leave the country and who are against this war, they cannot. It's it's not about fear against the external enemy, against the Putin, against police. It's the fear that if they pronounce against this war openly, they will lose the Russianness of themselves because they don't have any other concept, any other other idea of what their country is about. They know that their country is vast, enormous empire and if they uh, denounce that uh, this country is making imperial wars, that means that they will need denounce the, the fact that Russia is an empire and, and it, it needs to liberate all its uh, colonies which are inside Russia. And uh, I think Russians are still not ready to say that, unfortunately. If they're not ready to say that, we Ukrainians are saying that. This is probably also one of little missions to save the world and to say to the Russians what is really going on. I was, I was actually... I will tell you one thing. Um, I was I was recently speaking at one uh, very interesting event uh, in Georgia. I was, of course, online. We were in Kharkiv, you remember. And I was asked by a Russian woman online, like, what's happening? Why Putin started this war? It's not, it doesn't bring any benefits to Russia. It brings only losses. I can't understand it. And I say to myself, look, if you can't understand it, so... I understand it. I described it. We described it so many times because it's 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 very easy to understand. It's a lose-lose game. It's 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 really a lose-lose game when the motivation, the key motivation is to inflict the pain of others. And if you also um if you are also suffering, the 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 goal of the game is that you suffer less than the other. That's what Russians are trying to do. They're saying, okay, we will suffer, but you, our enemy, will suffer more. Yeah, I, I think this woman was saying that we don't understand that, not in the sense that we cannot understand that, that but we could really, we because our way of thinking is so much different from that. So we 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 can analyze this lose lose game, but this is nothing. This is something we could not. We will never do because we are not thinking like that. So this lose lose game is just something, uh, something unreal, like 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 a different species, a different. I don't know, people, not people, they are completely different from normal people. Look, so, so in normal logic, logic, you would ne- never have this lose-lose logic, right? So lose-lose game is, it's not beneficial for you. But I will tell you the story. You, you, you are thinking that I will be telling the story about Iranian protesters. No, I would, I would, I was thinking about telling you another story. It's the story of Tyra. Uh, our paramedic, who is now at Frankfurter Buchmesse, uh, book, the, the, big, the big book festival. And uh, we didn't see her, I didn't see her speaking, but uh, there was a quote from her that we've seen in, in social networks. And I think it was, it was remarkable. It also explains very much. When she was beaten in the captivity, she was in Russian captivity. 
she was regularly beaten, and she was asked by one woman, "Okay, but haven't you haven't you been beaten by your husband? So aren't you used to beatings? Because I assume that you have you have been beaten by a husband. So why are you not used to that? And this is a shocking question to Ukrainians because, and she answered, "Well." what Ukrainian woman will accept beating by her husband. Of course, we understand that there is domestic violence in Ukraine uh, and as everywhere. And of course, women get beaten by, by husbands uh, or sometimes vice versa. But it's not in this DNA of the, of the society that it's okay that the husband beats uh, the, the wife. It's, it's rather abnormal and it is considered by society as something absolutely pathological. Yeah, right. Yeah. So this is about the the cruelty of the Russian society, which is aggression, which is not only against enemies, against Ukrainians, against Georgians, against uh, Chechens uh, back in during that wars, but it's also some some uh, some part of their society, of their mentality, of their behavior. Okay. So this was a podcast explaining Ukraine, our weekly digest. But as usual, we went into philosophical conclusions, as we are actually with Tanya, we are both, we are rather closer to philosophy and literature than than politics. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine, which is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, a Ukrainian media NGO. My name is Volodymyr Yermolnka. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, and uh, my co-host is Tetyana Harkova, Ukrainian scholar and journalist at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. You can support us at patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders on the front line and to help people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Mm-hmm.